Well, hello, Mary Ann. I'm so glad we have a chance to be today, especially as I know that you've been incredibly busy with a number of substantial recent milestones for the Sequoia Project, as well as your work with the RCE, much of which I hope that we're going to be able to discuss today. This, I think, is the first time you and I are doing a podcast together like this. So this is fun. Why don't we start with just some introductions for the benefit of our listeners, and then we can dig into the topic at hand, all right? That sounds great. And it's great talking with you in this new format. How fun. So I'll start off just for those who don't know me. I'm Stephen Lane. I'm a practicing primary care physician for over 35 years. I've been a clinical informaticist for over 25 years, most recently at Sutter Health in Northern California, where I've served as the physician director for privacy, information security, and interoperability. I've had the opportunity to be involved in a number of regional and national health IT initiatives. Really going back, Marianne, to when you and I started working together with the Certification Commission for Health IT back in 2005. I can't believe how long it has been. More recently, you and I have had a chance to work together. I've been on the board of the Sequoia Project since 2016 and had the pleasure of serving as your second board chair from 2020 until earlier this year. Uh, in addition, I work with the ONC as a member of the Health IT Advisory Committee, and I have co-chaired a number of their task forces and work groups for care quality. I'm on the steering committee and chair that presently with HL7. I've worked with the Da Vinci Clinical Advisory Council and a bunch of other stuff at the California level. Just to be fully transparent, starting next month, October 2020, I'm going to begin as the chief medical officer at Health Gorilla and shift my focus on advancing interoperability uh, from the health system perspective to the information sharing network perspective and uh, give that a try in an effort to really support the real world implementation of the Trusted Exchange Framework and Common Agreement or TEFCA. So that's a little bit about me, Marianne. How about you introduce yourself and talk about how you got involved in health IT and how we got involved together so many years ago and became the CEO of the Sequoia Project? Well, sure. Thank you. I'm Marianne Yeager. I'm CEO of the Sequoia Project. I've been in health IT literally most nearly all of my career. I got my start working for a health plan and then a healthcare clearinghouse and then was consulting around HIPAA for a number of years. And when I met Stephen was really when I got more into the clinical side of health IT, and that was doing work with CCHIT and helping to launch our very first EHR certification program back in the day when EHR adoption was in its infancy, and so there was effort on that, and then ultimately became a consultant working with the ONC on their nationwide health information network initiative. And that was really where I would say interoperability was really a sole area of focus that I had spent a lot of energy on starting back in 2007 to the presence of the past 15 years. This has been my life. And focusing on that, in 2012, the Sequoia Project was formed to actually be a steward for an initiative that was incubated within the ONC around their NHIM project, and it grew into a national network. And then really from there, we expanded our portfolio. Gosh, it's been a journey. <laughs> it has. And I must say, it's been a pleasure being on the path with you. It's really amazing what we've been able to accomplish. So let's jump in and talk a little bit about TEFCA, starting with some of the backgrounds. For those who might not be as steeped in this as we are, the 21st Century Cures Act, which passed in 2016, called on the Department of Health and Human Services really to respond to the barriers that were hampering interoperability at that time. 
I think it's important to see this in a historical context. And uh, as part of that act, the HHS was instructed to identify or implement a trusted exchange framework and to develop a common agreement that would provide a single on-ramp to nationwide interoperability. A laudable goal and something that the industry had been working towards for a long time, but the government felt it was appropriate to step in and provide some guidance and some incentive to that. So we've come a long way along the path towards this TEFCA, and we're just now at an incredibly important milestone where next week, the, the recognized coordinating entity or RCE is going to start accepting applications from organizations that hope to serve as qualified health information networks under the TEFCA. So we're really, we're really getting on the track. But before we dive too far into those details, maybe we can get a little bit more of the history here. So Marianne, obviously, as you've said, you've been with the Squire Project since the beginning. You recently marked 10 years as the CEO. Uh, so maybe you can set us up with a bit of the history of Sequoia, specifically during that time, the role it's played in advancing nationwide interoperability, and how it came to be the recognized coordinating entity partnering with the ONC to implement the Sure. I, when the company was formed 10 years ago, it was really focused on being a steward for an initiative that was started within ONC and helping to incubate it and carry it forward. It was an independently governed network in and of itself. But when the company was formed, we chartered Sequoia with a broader focus, acknowledging that there was likely going to be a need for a nonprofit with a public admission, which is how we're structured, to really focus on interoperability with a very practically focused operational orientation, and also acknowledging that there were a lot of issues that really needed to be looked at and worked on that would require bringing together stakeholders from very diverse views, both public and private, and really practically, again, with that boots in the ground focus, try to work through them systematically. So we were chartered with a broader focus. And sure enough, in 2014, we were contacted by a number of different stakeholders, some networks and providers and other stakeholders that said, hey, we know there are these information networks that are out there and they're growing. Some are vendor-based, some are geographic-based, some are arch different architectural, but there's not going to be one national network in the U.S. But wow, wouldn't it be great if we could have these networks interconnect so that a healthcare provider organization, for instance, can use one network as their connection point to get to and share information for everyone else, whether it's to site within their region or state or across the street or even nationwide. And so we did, and we formed an initiative called Care Equality to serve that role and function. It's not unlike, I think, what the cellular networks did, where they have the ability for, regardless of what carrier you use, you can basically communicate with friends and family, frankly, worldwide now. But back in the day, you probably remember when cell phones first came out, you could only really contact people in your cellular network. And so we wanted to have a similar type of capability in the U.S. So Care Equality was formed in 2014. We developed a trust framework. It was conceptually really the precursor to TEFCA. It's sort of a similar approach and model. And records were exchanged beginning in 2016. I think you were part of that inaugural exchange, Stephen, weren't you? Yes, it was for my patient, the very first exchange. That's so exciting. I remember. And then in 2018, we were so excited. 36 million records, health records exchanged in a month. And then you, know, you look at today and Kerry called, I think in March of this year, it was 360 million health records exchanged in one month between networks. That's not even with the information exchange within a network. So at that time, you think about that back in 2016, Kerry Quality was in its infancy. 
And as you said, government was hearing, oh my gosh, there are all these impediments and there's a need for information even beyond treatment because today I think we've made strides as an industry to advance treatment-based exchange, but there was so much untapped opportunity to reach other care settings and more. Really, TEFCA is uh, really building upon the foundation of what we have today. And so as I think, you know, that background, the Sequoia being involved in this evolution, we've incubated these initiatives, both of these two initiatives we actually launched and spun out on their own. And Sequoia's focus is really twofold now. One, we focus on our interoperability matters program. We're working on issues like data usability and information blocking compliance and consumer engagement and emergency preparedness. And again, focusing on what are the sort of the building blocks we need to have to make information exchange easier. So that's one side of the house. And then we were really honored to have been selected to work with ONC in this government endorsed capacity as the recognized coordinating entity for TEFCA. We've been doing that for three years now. And it's been an amazing ride. Yes, it has. <laughs> I well know. So yeah. maybe you can talk more about the RCE work to date over these past few years and where we find ourselves on the path to the true implementation of the TEFCA. Yeah, so we were selected to serve as the RCE in August of 2019, so three short years ago. Of course, given our background and our track record, I mean, we have so much experience working on trust frameworks and national frameworks and launching real world things that so we hit the ground running. And so we really spent the first 18 months, two years, really building out on working with ONC. We're brought on the inside of the governmental process. We work as this coordinated team, which is so exciting, a pretty unique opportunity, particularly for us. And then really working with ONC to develop the draft common agreement, draft implementation guides, draft operating policies and procedures. We spent a lot of time, a concerted effort, really getting input from stakeholders, being very transparent in our work, really trying to make sure that everything that we do is grounded and what practically will work. And that's the thing, to make interoperability happen in the U.S., and you know this very well, Stephen, yeah, we really have to be super practical about, and sometimes we have aspirations and that's a great goal, but we have to make incremental steps in progress. Fast forward, the past this past year, the calendar year in 2022, we uh, were able to finalize the common agreement, which is the agreement that QHENS will sign that puts forward the expectations for how exchange will occur. And we also finalized the implementation guide. And as you mentioned, we're ready to be open for business here just in a, a week. It's hard to believe, a week. It really is. It's really wonderful. So obviously, this has been different. Partnering with the ONC in this public-private contractual collaborative has been different than what we've done with Sequoia Care Quality, where it was outside of government control. And I know from conversations we've had that there's been some challenges, keeping things moving, keeping them on track, complying with government timing and processes and whatnot. So how do you feel just overall? Do you feel like we're on track on the path to TEFCA or do you think that we're having challenges? How is that feeling to you? Oh, we're definitely on track. It's not a surprise that working through a governmental process is takes longer than the private sector and it's more complicated. It also comes with it a level of vetting and backup from not only within ONC, but within HHS and the Office for Civil Rights. And that's incredibly valuable 
to have this type of framework and approach really vetted with the backing of government. And that's what makes TEFCA so fundamentally unique and different from what we've been able to do in the private sector. The private sector, I'm so proud of the work that the private sector was able to lead unprecedented progress in access to information. And I, it's exciting. I'm, I don't know if you see it day to day. I see it day to day. When I go to the doctor, I see that my information is following me in the different places I receive care and that for my children. With the government opportunity, it really raises the bar in terms of what we're able to accommodate. We're able to reach broader reach, I believe, and other capabilities. The fact that we're at this point, we're getting ready to open up the process and begin accepting applications or processing applications on October 3rd, 2022 is a tremendous milestone. And from there, we know how to operate a program like this. So we're ready and we're definitely on. As you've said, there, there have been challenges in moving forward some use cases and getting certain stakeholder populations engaged in interoperability. We, as a practicing physician, I derive the benefits of interoperability every single day and my patients see that and it impacts their care. But a lot of things, individual access, operational workflows, et cetera, have been harder to move forward. So I think I agree with you that having this slow, deliberative, government-vetted process is going to set us up for future success. Even though we know that at this point, TEFCA participation is going to be voluntary, there have been some incentives already identified to try to bring people on board, and I think there are going to be more. It, it is a slow, deliberative process, but I think, like you, I think it's going to pay, pay rewards in the future. For sure. And it's really going to be an accelerant. And if you think about it, three years in a government timeframe is actually pretty quick to get from where we were to where we are now and ready to launch. And I think that speaks volumes. One of the deep commitment that the ONC team has and leadership and making moving this forward and just the level of engagement we've had from stakeholders, the opportunities for TEFCA to be an accelerant for use cases that the private sector really struggled to implement. Individual access is a perfect example, as well as payment and healthcare operations, administrative purposes making public health information or access to information more readily accessible. Imagine if TEFCA had been operational before the pandemic, would we have been in a different state of preparedness? For sure. And we're really building right now part of critical infrastructure that will service many different purposes and uses, which I think is so exciting. And the opportunity is real. To, if you invest in this solid foundation, we can innovate and build on top of it for many other things research even, really a tremendous opportunity here. So I share with you the enthusiasm about the promise of TEFCA to advance nationwide interoperability. But practically speaking, you are very much on the inside of this process. I don't think anybody has a clearer vision of this than you do. How much of that vision do you think that we're going to see realized over the next three to five years? So it's like any IT project, Stephen. It's going to take the first nine months or so to get early adopters on board and ramped up. And then you'll have different waves of QPINs and participants signing on and getting connected. So really, realistically speaking, the next two years are going to be very much getting folks connected through this TEFCA ecosystem and then expanding connectivity beyond that. And then overlaying that with new use cases like individual access services is a tremendous opportunity of getting, and it'll be incremental progress. So for us, there's not going to be one day where we light up the nation, but if we can get 
really a core set of early adopters and others are ramped up in the in exchanging information for treatment and IAS in the next three to five years. I think that's not only realistic, but again, it's a tremendous opportunity that moves the needle beyond where we are today in the U.S. Absolutely. You were met talking about QHINs and the important role that they play in the architecture of TEFCA, which is a little different than what we've seen historically with care quality where we have implementers, some of whom are networks, some of whom are vendors. And there are a lot of care quality implementers leveraging that uh, infrastructure today. But as we move to TEFCA, it, the, the QHINs play kind of the central role, this, this switching function uh, to allow for exchange, what we see uh, with HISPs and direct messaging today. So now that a few organizations have formally expressed to the RCE their intent to apply for QHIN designation, and several other companies have publicly stated their intentions to, to get involved and to play in this role. How do you feel about the candidate mix? Is this kind of what you expected at this point in the process? Yeah, I think so. We were pretty clear about which organizations had already contacted us or public and or publicly stated their intention to apply. So we have heard from a number of those. So that's exciting to see that there actually is interest and folks do intend to move forward. I will say that the I would say the profile of a QHIN is a bit different from what we have in the private sector today, and that a QHIN is expected to be a high performing, high resilient network node, a national node to facilitate exchange that also not only has a level of security and integrity, but resources and importantly, governance. The expectation that QHINs actually have network governance is a really important differentiator. So in private sector approaches today, there may be technology companies or integrators that provide the technical capabilities and they address policy expectations through contracts but they don't really have a governance structure. They don't have a network governing board, for instance, which is fine for a private sector approach, but for government backbone, there really is an expectation that, that QHINs will have a level of network governance and participatory governance above and beyond what a the role a commercial board might play traditionally. So I think that's probably the biggest distinguishing factor. That said, there is a role for everyone in the TEFCA ecosystem. So technology companies can be technology enabling for QHINs or for participants as integrators. They can help with implementation services, regional and statewide HIEs that service a particular market. They would perhaps be interested in participating in a QHIN and still provide the robust data utility services that they provide to their participants in their region and locality. EHR vendors can continue to provide technology and services to their customers and in clinical information systems, and again, be a TEFCA enabling activity. But those who want to be a QHIN, it, the really, it's not about the type of organization that could be a QHIN, but the attributes and the whether or not they fulfill not only the technical functions, have the policy credentials and the solid business and sustainable business, but also that they have the governing capabilities. That that makes perfect sense. And I think it is something that the industry is struggling a little bit to understand. But as you say, there's a place for everyone in the TEFCA ecosystem that being a QHIN is not the only way to participate by any means. That's right. And whenever we, and we have lots of conversations with folks who are trying to figure out how does TEFCA relate to them? Should they be a QHIN or not? And I always turn it around and say, why would you want to be a QHIN? Is your business, are you in the business of being a national node 
a network node? Or is your business something else, providing software solutions? Is your business providing data utility services for a particular market or region? Is your, you know, are you, you know, some other function? And so it's an important, it's a business decision. What we're very excited about is the level of interest in Tefka. And we're going to be spending a lot of time helping folks figure out, do a self-assessment. Do you meet the eligibility criteria? And importantly, does it align with your core competencies and your business? Because just because somebody is an acute doesn't mean that they don't play an integral role in our ecosystem. In fact, they may play a more pivotal role doing their core function that aligns with their core competencies and trying to become a QHIN and achieve a designated status because it's getting it's a high profile project right now program. And we recognize that, but we also, again, express some just being, being judicious about the due diligence. So I'm going to ask you a question that I've been asked many times, and I know you have as well, but I think we should include it here. And that is how many QHINs do you think there will or should be once, once TEFCA is fully up and running? Gosh, we really can't speculate. I have a number in my head. I can't really say it, but I would say it's fewer than carry quality. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. I know my thinking about this has really evolved over time and continues to as more folks, at least publicly, try to throw their hat in the ring. It's going to be interesting to see. So we recently heard from Mickey Tripathi, the national coordinator, that the ONC intends to celebrate the first set of QHIN applicants in January, which I was very excited to hear. So that's only a few months away now. Uh, do you have a sense of the timeline for the process for reviewing, approving, and designating QHINs? Are we anticipating designated QNs by then, or just our list of candidates? What are you thinking about that? It really depends upon the level of readiness of the applicants and the time, the, how long it takes them to get through the process. We did intentionally have a 30-day period that where the application and the process itself were published. We we're providing a lot of education and technical assistance to help folks do the preparation and, and anticipating of opening up the application process. So we'll begin accepting applications to review a starting October 3rd, but we anticipate we'll be getting applications on an ongoing basis, even years from now. So the way the process works is that applicants have 30 days to work with us and to have their application be deemed complete. So if someone submits a perfect application and we're able to process it quickly and we say, yep, everything's there, then they move to the next days of the process, they have up to 30 days before for that to take place. And then there's an, another 60 days where we, the RCE team will do a substantive review. And this is a pretty rigorous level of due diligence that we're doing. So there are going to be involved legal folks, technical policy, security folks laying eyes on the application to make sure that there is their objective, that the applicant has met the objective criteria. So that review can take 60 days. So that's 90 days right there. We max out that time and then an applicant can move to testing and has up to 12 months of testing. So we anticipate some folks may wait and submit their application and maybe it's they're really prepared and then they go to technical testing and take a long time. Or there are others that take a really long time to do their application and get through the testing process shortly. So we'll probably have some mix. I don't know if we'll have any applicants formally designated because that if you think about it, the end of January is 120 days. And this is new. It's new for us as the RCE is new for applicants. We're going to be learning as we go. We're going to be as quick and expedient as possible. So we'll just have to see where folks are in the process. What we do want is that we do want to have 
at least a handful of folks that get enough far enough along that we can signal and celebrate a milestone in January that it would be one year from the date that we published the common agreement, which is incredible. And it's, if you think about it, it's a pretty quick timeline. I was very excited when I heard Mickey announce that, and I'm certainly looking forward to it. So I'm going to put on my clinician hat a little bit and think about what are the benefits of Tefka exchange to clinicians. I've obviously experienced both the benefits and the challenges of our current interoperability capabilities. I don't know that there are too many clinicians in the country that are better able to avail themselves of the current functionalities. But I really do believe that Tefka promises to improve interoperability and lead us to safer, more efficient, higher quality care. How would you, from your perspective, characterize the value to clinicians in particular of Tefka Exchange through this QHIN mechanism? And how might that represent an advance over what's available today? I think that what Tefka can bring to bear is one, building upon the progress that we have to date. So not ripping or replacing, but having the continuum of progress. I think the Tefka, the value that Tefka brings to clinicians is on several fronts. One is that I do believe that Tefka will be able to expand the connectivity to care settings that have been underrepresented and not as connected because the government has this mission now to make Tefka really ubiquitous. And so there are resources and other levers that ONC and other policymakers can bring to bear to reach a broader set of other providers, clinicians across the continuum who are not represented. And then we're already having conversations about, so I would say, you know, the bridging those gaps, that's one. I think Tefka has the ability to raise the bar on the quality of data being exchanged. We have a baseline right now we're starting with Sequoia's other hat. You know, we really do a lot of substantive work around improving data usability which is a longer term, longer range plan. Everything we do and learn at Sequoia can feed into Tefka. It's ultimately ONC's policy decision on that. I think that there also would be value to clinicians. It would be easier to really meet expectations for providing individuals with access to their information and to maybe alleviate some of the burden if there was government endorsed approach that made it easier. Patients and caregivers would be better informed and more active participants in their care. And then, of course, just the other purposes that we talked about could hopefully just simplify, make exchange easier, and ultimately make the data, more comprehensive data and more high-quality data available for clinical decision-making. That's the goal. I know. There are a number of clinicians uh, who do not take full advantage of the existing interoperability functionalities that are out there. Uh, organizations like the one where I've worked for decades have been on the leading edge of this, have a certified EHR and turned on everything and try to make it work. But there are others who are using certified EHR products that haven't turned everything on or haven't started to participate in care quality or e-health exchange or common. And then there are still EHRs out there, specialty EHRs that have not become fully certified. They don't, haven't checked all the boxes within the ONC certification program. Do you think that TEFCA is going to provide an on-ramp for some of those folks, either folks who have not currently connected to the existing frameworks and networks, or to those who understandably want to use a specialized DHR that's never going to be certified? Is TEFCA going to offer an on-ramp to those populations? So Tefka is really focused on the characteristics and capabilities of QHINs. And so Tefka will not necessarily create a technical mechanism to bring these other actors to the table. However, Tefka does have a market moving influence and creates, I believe, this momentum that 
folks who are not participating in TEFCA-based exchange will be left behind. And my sense, and this is my personal professional opinion, not an official position of the government, as nothing in this discussion is an official position of the government. But I think what's going to happen is there are going to be possibly other integrators or others, maybe it's a QHIN or who, uh, some other actor that can serve as an integration point to bring those folks and give them the on-ramp into TEFCA-based exchange. So I think maybe TEFCA is creating the market dynamics to enable that. We won't directly provide the mechanisms to do it, but I think those who are participating, one, there will be much more opportunities to use policy opportunities and other, I don't know if there will be incentives, or I don't know, the government has a, an arsenal of tools that they use. I think if we can show some momentum behind TEFCA, I think we're going to see a lot of opportunity to bring up all to gap to bring these other folks to the table. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm certainly looking forward to it because it's frustrating as a clinician to right. chunks of the community to not interoperate with. Oh, absolutely. I think we've all experienced personally as well, the gaps and in, in the information that's not available. And I've always said, first I said, well, no, we're making progress in interoperability when clinicians start complaining about the value of the data. And so we're definitely hearing that. And I think another test of when patients start getting frustrated that, wait a minute, I have data from this place, but not this. And they recognize the gaps and that, again, all of these factors line up and create that forward momentum and market moving factors. And I think we're getting there. So you talked about incentives. Certainly the first clear incentive that I've seen is the announcement by CMS last month in August of 2022, where they said that the utilization of TEFCO was going to be uh, counted in terms of qualifying for promoting interoperability incentives for hospitals beginning next year. Pretty remarkable, pretty aggressive and positive move, I believe, really bold. I'm curious though, obviously most hospitals, as we know from ONC statistics, are participating in interoperability. They're already connected and doing this work through the existing frameworks and networks. So what sorts of organizations, if any, do you think are really going to be incentivized by this CMS announcement? Do you think that it's going to bring anybody forward and try to become an early adopter of TEFCA? What impact do you think it's going to It's a good question. And this is where I have to clearly take the RC hat off. So I believe CMS actually put out a request and asked, question, asked the question whether TEFCA should be specifically identified as one of the measures. And so that really caused folks, what we observed, to really step up and pay attention that if CMS is going to point to this, is that signaling a potential um, expansion into other levers that they might have. It's hard to say whether it will bring new market act players to the table and participating in information exchange, but it would signal if CMS does go down that path is a very significant lever that government could use to promote TEFCA in other ways beyond that initial approach. And I think that what we've heard from stakeholders is that is what they're reading in the tea leaves. That makes sense. We talked about the purposes of exchange and the many purposes that we're hoping to see supported over time. But at the outset, TEFCA has really been sized to support treatment-based exchange, which we just acknowledged was largely already happening, certainly at the hospital and large health system level. 
uh, and individual access services. Today, most of that is through portal access through an individual health system or provider, and less so, I think, using the Firebase capabilities of individual query. But that's very important that individual access services have been included as an initial use case and requirement for Tefka-based exchange. Talk a little bit about how QHINs will facilitate this individual access and what is the timeline for us to expect to see that actually available for individuals to take advantage of? Yeah, it is exciting. It's, I think I just want to amplify what Tefka does bring to bear with respect to individual access services, because one of the biggest impediments that we observed in the private sector before Tefka was that there was a concern that there are these app providers that would provide this individual access service to individuals that are not otherwise subject to HIPAA. And there were concerns that those who are subject to HIPAA, such as healthcare provider organizations, health plans, and others, that if they share information to an entity and they're a bad actor, they don't have solid security, that even though they're providing the inf information to a proxy to the individual, that they would somehow be implicated and be non-compliant with HIPAA. And that was a really big point of concern. What TEFCO was able to do was really bridge that policy gap. And by establishing a bar and a set of expectations that if you are an app provider, if you're not subject to HIPAA, then you have to comply as if you were and meet the certain set of safeguards and and uses and disclosures and other things consistent with HIPAA so that there was really one standard for Tefka-based exchange and that there wasn't a loophole that folks could somehow be not subject or imposing liability on others. So I think that was probably one of the most important developments was from a policy perspective. So individual access can be enabled through the current QTF, Qualified Health Information Network Technical Framework, the Implementation Guide. It is using document-based exchange, which really wasn't geared for this sort of business-to-consumer type of, of workflow. It's really more B2B between um, different healthcare organizations or entities. So what we're thinking is when we start, when we move forward with our FIRE roadmap, that will have the standards and the technologies that will really more seamlessly enable this type of new use case. And it's really designed with that in mind. It's more current protocols, et cetera. So really excited about that. We, I can talk a little bit about the timeframe for the when that implementation guide and capabilities will come out. But first, we'll have published a draft implementation guide that is anticipated this year. We'll put it out for stakeholder feedback. Then we're going to have pilots tested out in the real world. Part of that will, of course, be testing out one of the use cases is individual access as well as treatment by using the Firebase protocols and then make it available for use and adoption next year. So again, if you think about the life cycle of this, it sounds like a long time, but it's pretty darn I know that when the first Tefka frameworks came out, there was some disappointment in the industry that Fire was not front and center. But hearing you reiterate what we've heard before, that 2023 is when that roadmap is going to be put into place is very exciting. And do you think that will be for individual access services exclusively or also for treatment-based exchange? I think our anticipation would be for all the exchange purposes would be permitted. Of course, we believe it will be probably be required for treatment and individual access. So if you receive a request for data from an individual, then you would have to respond to those requests with a copy of the information, assuming it's permitted by law. And of course, we're continuing to work with ONC and getting feedback from stakeholders on what about other workflows like around payment and healthcare operations and public health and using FIRE. If, if there are certain sub-use cases that are better geared toward those set of protocols, that's an opportunity as well. But again, we're going to be really practical. We're going to be really try to meet the market where it is, but also set the bar. 
for where we want to go. And I think for us, it's important to get traction and get something operational and then continue to expand it over time. Yes, that's very exciting. So I think I just want to wrap us up here with a look a little bit further out into the future. We talked about what we think you know, will be accomplished next year and in the three to five year time frame. Let's look further out, look out over the next decade. Do you feel that TEFCA is going to become the standard really required for anybody participating in health data exchange? Do you think that there are going to be you know, tens or hundreds of QHIMs? Are we likely to see all of the initial proposed use cases implemented and all the stakeholder groups onboarded? Do you, do you think 10 years is enough to really fulfill the promise of this and build on it? That is such a good question. I think we can do a lot in 10 years. I also know just it takes time for Dorga. I think, I think, yes, I think we can have a lot of this operational. I think we can have an accelerated and expanded set of exchange for treatment, definitely individual access. I think we'll make strides in public health. I think that is going to be a long haul and take probably more than 10 years. Because there's such a multitude of use cases around public health, I think we'll definitely do that. I think we will have other actors that are not participating in Information Exchange Day participating. How many QHINs will there be? I don't know. I think we'll probably, just like anything, like any network evolution, if you look at it, you have a number of networks in the beginning and then consolidation. I think it could be a standard of care. Yes, I do. But I think we're going to have to have a very successful, practical rollout and an incremental expansion and to build on that momentum. And I think once we get the foundation in place and get some real momentum behind us, then again, TEFCA can be a huge accelerant. Well, Marianne, I can't thank you enough for taking the time today to talk about all this. Obviously, you, you know as much about this as anybody, and I'm certainly looking forward to continue to partner together as we move this forward. Any well, it's great chatting with you. Oh, it's just great chatting with you, Stephen. It's always interesting and just exciting to contemplate the opportunity. Great. Thanks so much. Have a great day. You too.